Hi, and welcome to episode 155 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, coming to you from Gadigal Land. And before I launch into today's episode, I just wanted to update you on something coming up soon. It's my next interview in the Artists in Conversation series at the Art Gallery of New South Wales on the 6th of March. It's with Caroline Zielinski, one of the hottest contemporary artists out there at the moment. I've been following Caroline's career for years and her work is not only technically brilliant, but she unpretentiously and fearlessly paints themes which are hovering in the zeitgeist. I saw her recent show at Nanda Hobbs in Chippendale in Sydney and was totally blown away. And she's got a survey show coming up at the Newcastle University Art Gallery. I think it's starting on the 28th of February. Um, She's also got work in the Melbourne Art Fair. So come along and join us at the Art Gallery and also for a drink in the Members' Lounge afterwards. Also, there's a new video on the YouTube channel from my interview with Anthony White. It's a collection of highlights from the podcast conversation we had in 2023, and he gives me some great insights into his work and the creative process. And a link to both of those are in the show notes. Now, on to this episode. Over the years, painters on this podcast have shared some fascinating backstories to works they've made, which you could never have guessed just on viewing the painting. And sometimes that backstory has made me look at their work in a totally different way, with more appreciation and interest. And I'm bringing a few of those to you today. I've included four in this episode, but I could easily have included a story from every single episode on the podcast. Uh, But these are a few that have really stuck in my mind over the years. Also, for those of you who haven't been long-time listeners of the podcast, you'll hear references to something called the Archibald Prize, which is Australia's most famous portrait prize. You can find images of each of the works mentioned in this episode on the website, talkingwithpainters.com, and there's a link to that in the show notes. I've also listed a link to each guest's podcast episode as well. So I'm starting off with my interview with Vincent Fantuzzo, whose portrait of his friend, the late actor Heath Ledger, won the People's Choice and the Archibald Prize in 2008, as well as being highly commended that year. The painting is now in the permanent collection of the Art Gallery of New South Wales. Yeah, we were planning on collaborating in quite a few ways. Um, this painting we have been planning to do for years. Um, Heath was really into art and had a lot of friends that were artists and liked my work. And he would visit my place in Melbourne when he was here and see the paintings. And so we really wanted to make it happen. And it just so happened that um, that was right before his death. It's unbelievable. So yeah. he died a few weeks after you finished. Three, he died three weeks after I started the painting which is when I finished it. It must have been a shock for you. I can imagine painting that. Mm. You would have been immersed in thinking about him all the time. All I was doing was looking at his face all day, every day, every mark on his body, what the painting meant to him, having shot the photographs at his mum's house in Perth, discussing my life and his and where we were in life and um, all that was going on. And I literally... I'd shown Heath sketches and I tried to email it to him the night before and the email didn't go through. He'd seen black and white sketches of the work. Um, And I was painting it at home and I hung it on a wall 
behind the television. I turned the television on in the morning and he's, he was there. So that was, was very strange and surreal and sad. Yeah, it was shocking. Yeah. Um, well, the actual, can I just, I'll just describe it for people who haven't seen it, but I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with it. It's um, a triple portrait of him and the, the middle um, face is looking towards the viewer, sort of quite, well, I would say sort of forlornly almost, you know, and then the other two are whispering into his ear. Can you tell me a bit about that sitting and the, the photography session that led to that? Yeah. So before I do, I, a portrait like this is a, is a collaboration. So it's as much Heath's idea as mine. And we spoke in depth about our lives and his life and also him being a public figure. And I had friends that were actors and singers and kind of, and been in these environments and I kind of understood the complexities of what he was going through in his personal life as well as um, his public life. Is that and because of the media and that sort of thing? Yeah, because of the media and, you know, he's not, um, he's not an extroverted, he can play a character, he can have confidence, and, but he's not an extroverted guy, he's quite shy or, and he also likes to keep things to himself and you can't always do that which I've learnt more and more through, throughout my life now and with my wife and friends and um, there's enormous stresses and when you're having difficulties in your personal life as he was at the time you want to keep as much as you can to yourself mm. but Heath at that time was really positive as well as talking about um, the these that darkness he also was really inspired to do well for his daughter he wasn't drinking he was really focused on his his career and speaking a lot about the future so you know and there was always a question about what happened to him but i i know it was just a bad set of circumstances and an accident um yeah well that could have been I think, avoided i think that's what they yeah. Found the prescription. Yeah, that's right. Know, that sort of and Heath knew that everything he said can be misconstrued and uh, bent and taken advantage of. And as much as you want to give give a lot out, you have to hold things back. So he has to keep this in the image. He's keeping this almost zombie-like, muted. You know he everything's just been sucked out of him and he's just staring through the the viewer and the figures around him one's kind of almost amused and looking a little bit sinister or sneaky and the other one's whispering in in his to him as well and they're they're laughing at what they're seeing and what he's seeing but keeping it he's keeping it to himself so he's there's a lot going on inside but he has to contain it all and it, that's interesting you use the word sinister because it, it, that is the sort of feeling you get. It's, it's like almost like the devil whispering in his ear, you know. Yeah, it's, but it, it's almost like, ah, oh, fuck them, you know, that, you know, don't give it to them, you know, they're, um, you know, oh, keep to yourself. Um, but also, this is, you're doing well, this is ridiculous, you know. But then there's, there was, uh, during that, photo shoot there was anger and laughter and I could have done this painting ten times over 
in and it would have been quite different with the same all the same roles he was playing at the same in the same shoot well you were telling me that earlier that he it was like he was giving a performance while you yeah. were shooting so he sat there for the for the central image and then it was like he was still sitting there on the chair it was in his mum's backyard early in the morning we'd been out the night before and um, he was in his pajamas with his t-shirt off but the performance was so involved and it was hypnotic and he was almost trance-like and when it circled around himself speaking and laughing and whispering and it was all all the emotions he was feeling mm. about life and himself he just poured out laughter anger frustration happiness so he was a really like he lived acting didn't he did it sounds yeah, as he did. though he he was he just loved doing it yeah he absolutely loved it um, and he loved all art forms as well and the painting as dark as it seems has actually become a real celebration to me and to his family and um, they all come here and sit here and they love the portrait and we've become really close and um, his dad's been quite a mentor to me and um, you know he's always there for me so that's it's been there's a lot of positives have come yeah. out. Yeah, well, it's great that the art gallery of New South Wales has got it now. It's great that you know the people well, of New South Wales can. It is kind of great, but I gave the painting to Sally, Heath's mum, and we agreed she wanted people to see it, so she gave it to the art gallery of New South Wales so people would see the painting, but the art gallery of New South Wales never hung the painting, so mm. it sat in storage until this year where they loaned it to the WA Museum, which it's showing at now, which is great. Because so there's a show on Heath Ledger over there. Yeah, that the family's right. put on. Uh, so it's nice now. For The idea was that people could go and pay tribute to Heath and see him, and um, it has a place. So it was a bit frustrating. It sat in storage for how many years? Ten years. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, well, hopefully maybe they'll bring space, it out. Maybe they have a space problem. Yeah, well, maybe when they extend the art gallery, they'll have a spot for it. But, um, yeah, look, it was one of, I, it's one of those paintings that I remember from, yeah. you know, the past years of the Archibald. It really is powerful. This next clip is from my conversation with Prudence Flint in her Melbourne studio, and we talked about her fascinating painting, Baby, which was a finalist in the 2015 Archibald Prize. I'll just briefly describe it for people who are listening. Um, it's um, it's actually of a close friend of yours, mm. um, Ursula Dawkins, and yes. she's a writer. Yes. And she's in this pose where she's looking over a baby, sort of tending to a baby, lying on a table, um, which is sort of covered in a check tablecloth, mm. a very flat surface, which is sort of quite common in your paintings. Mm. And uh, But the point is that I read in the accompanying writing... She doesn't have a baby. No. She's not a mother. No. Can you tell me a bit about that painting? Well, it was inspired mostly by going overseas and going to museums and seeing all those incredible Madonnas, you know, early Renaissance Madonnas and crazy oh, paintings, yeah. you know, with babies with little teeth and the oh, those weird breasts <laughs> with the nipples and little angels. They just crazy. And they amazing, are crazy, aren't amazing they? Amazing paintings. So. Yeah. That's what kind of triggered it. 
and the other thing is um, giving myself the permission to paint a woman with a baby was a real leap for me because, you know, you think, how can I do that? I don't have a baby, but whatever, you know, why do I have to own everything? I can't, you know, the territory is mine if I want it. You know, it's hard. As a woman, I think you're not always, um, you know, how to take up territory, how to, how to, how to, uh, Allow yourself to, yeah. to to paint a certain subject. Yes, and feel okay about it. And um, so when mm. I, it was so fun to do it. <laughs> I, I'd like to do it again, but it's just it was such a daunting painting, and I just didn't know whether I was going to pull it off because I did try and do another one of a woman breastfeeding, and I just couldn't do it. It was too. It went. It went into closure. It didn't kind of. Um, open anything up so that painting worked because I think there was a bit of openness about it there was Mm. a bit of ambiguity about it and and it's so funny because women came to up to me and said oh you've really caught that eye contact between the mother and the baby and other women came up to me said you've really caught that horrid kind of monstrous woman and, and other people would come and say the baby's not even smiling it was just oh isn't that funny how people deter- interpret it in different ways incredibly I've never it was just I wished I could oh you know I could have written them all down as like a comedy act it's just, <laughs> it's just yeah well the baby is um actually I've seen that in a few of your paintings where it's it's like a very um, flat surface that the figure is on. Yeah. And it's not sort of sinking into the surface. There's no yep. sort of softness or anything to no. it. It's sort of hovering, yep. almost hovering above the surface yeah. sort of a thing. Yeah. If I created this kind of soft, it, it would have all got too specific and I had to make it a little brutal, the baby, because it's kind of an unlikely surface. You wouldn't yeah. really put a baby on a – but it – Needed. It was like a it was like a dining table almost. Well, someone said it looked pot. like a cobweb, you know, that created a kind of a web, the the grid. So the mm. grid and the baby, it needed something to hold the baby. So that was a deliberate. Yeah, I think. Thing. Yeah, because yeah. I had to work out a way to not make it too squishy and kind of hold it firm. Well, that's actually quite hard too when you're imagining a scenario. It's hard to get the perspective right, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, because that perspective is you're sort of almost looking down mm. on the table, but yeah. you're also seeing the mother, yeah, bending over yeah, the baby. Yeah, so yeah. that it I can quite imagine tricky. that's quite tricky. Yeah, yeah. So I often start my paintings by doing some little, just little pencil sketches, just out of my imagination. Because if I start, if I start them with reality from reality, if I take photos mm. from reality often the the painting composition will be really dull so I, I what I do is I'll make up the composition in and I'll draw it up and then get my reference and make the reference fit into my idea oh, right. and, and my composition that I make up in my head and that's why they're they're often distorted because they it has to be painting logic it has to be my own pictorial painting logic and the reality has to fit into that not the other way around 
Next up is from my 2020 interview with Ben Quilty, who I spoke with just before the opening of the outstanding survey exhibition Quilty, which had arrived at the Art Gallery of New South Wales after its stints in Adelaide and Brisbane. Ben was an official war artist in Afghanistan in 2011, and here he talks about two paintings which came out of his time there. You know, I think one of the most moving paintings from that period was um, that Kandahar painting, which Mm. I think was one of the first ones you did. When I got home, I made Kandahar straight away. I did a drawing on the plane home, um, which was my memory of Kandahar, of the fact that it's actually a beautiful, very, very spectacular, beautiful ancient landscape, but hovering over the top of it is this human, psychotic human construct and that is war um and i did a very simple drawing and that painting fell out of me as soon as i got home and i thought yep there it is i've done it that's as much as i can do i can't do more than that mm. uh, so it's sort of like a it was like a floating dark mass of oh, it's hard to describe but um yeah, it was a sense of an emo- a floating emotion i've often made paintings about trying to make a form of emotion to paint that sense of how you feel. Mm. Um, but I thought, I mean, there is this thing where possibly I could have I could have unpicked that further and made a, a series of works about that, but that painting worked with one hit. It happened and it worked and I felt it was very successful. And mm. then I was empty. I had nothing left. But the stories with those young men and women continued and they had the stories I mean, one of the great privileges of my life was to hear their stories, telling me what they'd witnessed, what it was like to be in combat, what happens when bullets are whipping past your face, what happens when one of your friends is hit with one of those trajectories. What do you do? How do you feel? How do you recover? How do you go back out the next day? Um, and those stories were breathtaking. Yeah. They were huge stories. Well, that painting you did that was an Archibald finalist painting at Captain S after Afghanistan. Yeah. That was a that was a very powerful painting, I think, and that, and I, I should mention that all these that they came to sit for you, um, yeah. the troops. Yeah, Cap- Captain S is is um, was a, an officer in the Second Commando Unit, and he told me a very graphic story about, um, and he was the first man that I asked to sit for me, and I asked him to make, to come up to think before we met of a pose. I mean, before we met, we'd met in Afghanistan, we'd become good friends. He trusted me to tell the stories that he had to give. Um, and I asked him before he came to my studio, think of a pose that sums up your experience of being in Afghanistan. And uh, he said the Battle of Marga, I'd never heard of it, but there was a battle every three days, three days on, three days off. He was involved in another combat situation. But this one particular position, he was stuck in as a um, communications, he had communication gear on his back and they were out in the middle of nowhere and they were stuck behind a very low mud brick wall and mm-hmm. he and his friend were there because he had to be out in the open for the communication gear to work and they were stuck there for six hours under fire while his, the other rest of his group was, were in a, in a building protected. But he had to stay there to keep the communication going, to try and find where someone was, sh- people were shooting at them from all around this massive ancient valley. And then a bullet hit his, his friend, his young mate, below the testicles and it went straight into his body oh. and it didn't come out. 
And so then obviously I say you have this opportunity and responsibility to, to talk to Captain S about what happened, what what was your conversation, what were you thinking, were you regretting being there um, and what did this young man say? And he, the reason he picked that pose is because he was stuck on his back with a very uncomfortable pack there for another six to eight hours trying to get air support to get this young man out when the bullet hadn't exited his body. And the young man said over and over for hours, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. And it's pretty fertile material to make a strong painting about even just recording that pose I felt was telling more about that story than I can ever make up. This last clip is from my conversation with journalist Scott Bevan, who wrote a biography of William Dobell, one of the most famous Australian artists of the 20th century. And if you listen to our conversation, you'll hear a large part is taken up with the story of the controversy surrounding his win of the Archibald Prize in 1943 and is well worth a listen. The controversy led to a very public court case, which was a traumatic experience for Dobell, and he later moved to the small town of Wanji on Lake Macquarie, where he escaped the media attention and was welcomed by the locals. But in this clip, Scott tells me about Dobell's second win of the Archibald Prize in 1948, with his portrait of Margaret Olley, which is now in the Art Gallery's permanent collection. That year, he also won the Win Prize with a landscape painting titled Storm Approaching Wanji, and Scott makes some poignant observations about that work as well. The Archib- 48 Archibald Prize winner was Dobell, with that beautiful, luscious portrait that I guess everyone would know of Margaret Olley. Now, the relationship there was based around Sydney. This was part of Dobell's Sydney life that he had retained. He'd come down to a party, and the party they were about to go to, they asked um, if Margaret could dress up and make herself fancy. Now, these were tough times. It was hard to dress up and be fancy in post-war Australia. So a good friend of hers, a fellow artist, Fred Jessop, said, I'll help. And they spent an afternoon at, I think it was at the Drysdale's house, building or assembling this beautiful dress from army surplus stuff, such as uh, parachute silk. Wow. Cut up Fred Jessop's grandmother's wedding dress (laughs) and concocted this incredible outfit And she made a sunflower hat as well and off to the party. And she was the hit of the party and captured everyone's eyes, including William Dobell, who was at this party of artists. And on the way home, travelled home with her, he shyly asked her, may I paint your portrait? And she agreed. And so uh, began the journey to that extraordinary 1948 uh, Archibald Prize winning portrait. And that dress is in the painting. It is. Even yeah. though she didn't, well, I don't think she wore it at the sitting. She did not. And uh, it was purely from memory. Yes. There's an amazing study as well of Margaret naked as, as well. And I asked <laughs> Margaret, I said, did you um, pose for William? No, I did not. That was the artist's imagination. She loved that portrait. I, I, the last time I spoke to Margaret, um, when I was researching the book, uh, she talked very fondly about it. And I had the great honour in uh, 2006, I think it was, to stand before that portrait with Clive James, who was a great friend of Margaret's. And he said, as he looked at it, that's the real Margaret. 
So once again, Dobell got his subject. But that year, Dobell in effect did two portraits. He won both the Archibald Prize and the Wynn Prize for landscape painting. And the landscape painting, I would argue, is also a portrait. It's a self-portrait. Because that painting, that landscape, is called Storm Approaching Wanji. And it shows um, a storm, a tempest rolling over the hills, what's called the Butterba Hills, down onto Wanji Bay. And it shows two uh, male figures desperately trying to drag a boat in before the squall arrives. And uh, a woman carrying the oars. They're trying to get away from the storm. To me, that landscape is a self-portrait as well because William Dobell had been the storm approaching Wanji. He was this tempest of swirled-up emotions, of self-doubt that was crushing him, this thunderous voice of, I won't go through this again. And yet the magic of Wanji, the lulling, calming effect of Wanji meant that the storm abated somewhat as uh, those couple of years passed. So every time I see the storm approaching Wanji, I can see somewhere that I've come to know and he got the feeling of that place, just like people say of his portraits. He got it. He got Wanji. He got it in a way that goes beyond appearance. But to me, it's also a statement of what Wanji did for him. It lulled the storm that was ripping him apart. Mm. I hope you enjoyed those reminiscences from the archives and that you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters. Mm.